Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest. So I think that the younger me would say that I moved to the dark side. <laughs> I don't know if I'm like Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader or something like that. Um, and it's related to this idea that I think that I had like this misconception. That I always thought that marketing was just like trying to trick me to do things that I didn't want to do or something like that. And I think that once I started working more on marketing, I realized that if you are working for marketing for developers, that's not what you do at all. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast from Smash Data. I'm Joe Stitchberry, one of the senior analysts in the team. And today I'm joined by Martin Gondnikas. Martin, we've not met before, so please could you introduce yourself to me and to the listeners? Yeah, sure. So as you said, my name is Martin Gontaunicas, but everybody calls me Gonto, even though my mom hates it because she really <laughs> likes Martin, but just call me Gonto. Um, and I'm the VP of Marketing and also VP of Product here at OutZero. And as you can check by my sexy Latin accent, I'm <laughs> from Argentina. Fantastic. Well, my intro, because um, as I say, we've not met before, I'm um, originally a mobile developer. I used to work for Symbian and Nokia and Sony Ericsson. I worked my way around various handset manufacturers in uh, the late 1990s and 2000s. Um, and then I later moved into publishing and technical writing just because I realized just how difficult it was to find good explanations of difficult subjects. So I've worked with a number of teams to get developer marketing to the forefront both as a writer and as a product manager. And quite recently, I worked with Slash Data on our multi-author book about developer marketing, of which this podcast is part. So while I'm on the subject of Slash Data, I should mention that we often have developer economic surveys open. And if you're listening and you're a developer, we'd love to hear your opinions on a range of topics relating to your developer experience. So if you complete the survey, there's often a chance to win some amazing prizes and you get to find out the views of your fellow developers in a free report later in the year. Um, There's a link to the description of this podcast and if you uh, follow it, you'll find a link to the survey or you can visit survey.developereconomics.com and we run two a year. So if there isn't one open, then do check that later in the year. Okay, Martin, I'm going to Ogonto. I'm going to ask you um, initially about your current role. So what, what do you love about it and, and how long have you been doing it? So I've been at Outzero for five years and I've changed a bit of what I've been doing since I joined. So I, saw, I joined as a developer relations um, person and I was basically working on all of the docs, the blog posts, speaking at conferences, etc. And then the role started changing as the company started growing. And as I said, I ended up becoming the VP of marketing for OutZero. So OutZero is a company that sells um, authentication for any company. And the idea is that if you need to implement authentication with either username and password or social providers or enterprise um, providers like Active Directory or something like that, instead of you implementing it yourself, you could use OutZero. 
And of course, if you're setting up an application and you need to connect to authentication, that means that the developer is using it. So a lot of our side from marketing um, basically targets these uh, developers. And what I enjoy the most about OutZero is that, honestly, it's been like the path. So I joined five years ago as the sixth employee. Now we are more than 500. And the growth at which OutZero has grown, basically, means that every quarter we have new problems or new things that we need to focus on. And that, to me, is awesome. Like, my drivers are learning and having impact. So the ability to be able to learn and change what we are doing so fast has been fascinating at OutZero. Yeah, that certainly sounds it. And I guess you've seen um, your internal developer headcount rocket as well. So you're really getting um, sort of hands-on developer experience inside the company, and then you can take their views and um, the knowledge that they pass to you out when you um, when you go on the road with developer marketing. Exactly, and you can actually do the same thing the other way around. I I strongly believe that developer relations, because they are in the field talking to other developers who are using our software, they should be also bringing a lot of feedback to our product team on how we can improve the product as well. So I actually think it's a two-way relationship in that sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's developer relations all over, isn't it? That you're representing um, the developer inside your company and you're re representing your company to developers. Um, so when it comes to sort of working with developers, I mean, we've had a few people on that have um, communities that they've set up with forums and documentation and so on. I must admit, I've not, um, I've not used your technology, so I'm not familiar with your, um, your presence particularly. So could you tell us exactly what you, what you have set up? For developers in general, for signing up, you mean? Yeah, yeah for, for third-party developers that want to use your technology. Yeah, definitely. So for OutZero, what we have is we have a free account with up to 7,000 active users, which basically anybody can just come in and use it. We also have a free trial for 22 days for all of the enterprise features and of the self-service features as well. But the main idea is that we want to help any developer. So if you're doing a pet project, you can actually start um, with our free plan or even move to one of our self-service plans. And you can pay as little as like 13 or 20 bucks a month for having authentication set up in your application to big enterprise deals that we also have with other companies. But I'm a big believer in free plans and trials. I've been giving people the opportunity to try it out. I think it's really important for a developer to be able to mess around, try it out, instead of just giving something that is closed and then nobody can use it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need to be hands-on, really, and see if you can break it and, and learn about it by tinkering um, before you commit to something. And I think the other thing that we, um, we cover in the book that we published recently is that, you know, if the developer's already written a bunch of code around something and has got familiar with that technology, they're kind of um, sold on it already. And so switching over to use somebody else is, is going to be a very difficult challenge for, you know, the... Um, the beam counters to enforce, you know, if you've already got all the code in GitHub that uses Auth0, then why would you um, say, oh, well, this person over here, this, this company is a bit cheaper. It's completely different technology. It's PHP or something instead of what you've been using. But hey, I'm going to save five bucks a month. I mean, nobody's going to get away with that. Now, the developer is king when it comes to making the decision because of the free and the self-service just to get on and tinker and, and hack and, and learn 
as the um, as the new technology. Yeah, exactly, and, I, and that's why I think that good documentation is is key. And the the interesting part of that is, for example, we had one customer now that is the the Economist, the newspaper, and when they contacted us, they told us like, hey, we already have the POC running, we tried out, we just want to have an enterprise deal for premium support or SLA or something like that. But when they came to us, they had already that they had already set that up, which also meant that the sales cycle was much uh, shorter than in any other deals. And when we see developers trying it out, that is awesome from our side. And the other thing, as you're mentioning, that I see this helping out as well is with this idea that a lot of big companies do this like checklist buy, where they check feature, 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 and see if they have it or not. But something that I think is important for a lot of these products is what is the developer experience? How we see this to, to set up? Um, how do the SDKs work? What does it mean? How is the support? And I think that covering a lot of those those sites as well is something that made um, that made it easier for developers to pick out zero instead of another authentication provider. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's not just the developer in question, but if they're able to go to a really carefully um, curated and laid out forum or a, a subreddit or whatever and they can see that it's active and that you've got people there supporting them and the community supporting itself um, and you know they can go to github and they can see your code being checked in regularly it gives developers a, com a, a confidence that you know you're active you're supportive and you're on the ball as opposed to trying to sell something which is you know on the way out and, and you're not really interested in anymore and um, something that's quite interesting, I wasn't mentioning it, but since you mentioned The Economist, my, my other half actually um, was at The Economist when they made the decision. And he's up quite often in London visiting your colleagues um, in, um, is it um, Shoreditch or somewhere? I can't remember where you're based. <laughs> oh, no, that's right. It's in, um, in FC1, isn't it? It's in the, uh, by the South Bank. So, yes. So I've heard all about uh, the trial with Alcira and The Economist. And uh, yeah, they love you there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's interesting to hear it from the other side. Yes, yes. So um, you said you were at um, Alcira and you've been there for five years. What were you doing before that? So I've been at Alcira now for five years. Um, before that, I was an engineer, an engineering manager in different companies. And I also at one point started to also do courses in companies. So I was working as a freelancer and I made an open source framework that became popular for Angular 1 back then. That framework was called Restangular. So I started to be invited to different conferences to speak about um, Restangular. And by then, I was also living by doing courses on Angular or Scala or REST APIs or things like that in private companies near where I was doing the, the conference. So a bit of, of everything. And actually, this part when I built the open source framework is where I realized that I wanted to move more to the DevRel side because I actually had more fun working on making sure it got popular and people were using it, etc., rather than just building it myself. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? That you, I think much the same in my experience, I had much more fun writing about development than development itself because you feel like you're really kind of sharing something, you know, your knowledge and it's um, what you've uncovered and what you've learned. And in your case, it's, you know, sharing the fact that you've got this brilliant product and, um, you know, this will help you to do this, go through this course. Yeah, that's really, that's interesting. So um, you, you said you started off as a, a, an engineer. 
And I mean, engineers have this reputation for being cynical about marketing. So when you were, you know, a junior engineer, I see you have a qualification in system engineering. When you were studying for that, did you ever think that you'd end up in marketing? What would a, what would a young you think of, of your current role? Would they be saying, oh my God, how did I end up in marketing? Or, or, or was it something you always aspired to? So I think that the younger me would say that I moved to the dark side. <laughs> I don't know if I'm like Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader or something like that. Um, and it's related to this idea that I think that I had like a, this misconception. I always thought that marketing was just like trying to trick me to do things that I didn't want to do or something like that. And I think that once I started working more on marketing, I realized that if you are working for marketing for developers, that's not what you do at all. Because I believe that developers have this very good bullshit detector, um, how I call it, or something like that, where I think that if you provide good value for the developers and good education, good education and good utility and the product is good, your only job as marketing is basically to get people to read about Outsilio and to try it out. Because once they try it out, they like the, the product. So I never thought of marketing like that. I always thought more of marketing as like somebody like asking me all the time, like, hey, come here, come here, come here. And like, they were trying like cherry mind tricks to convert me. So I, I, I never thought I would end up in marketing when I started college or when I was, had my first junior engineer job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And maybe when, when we were looking at marketing in those days, perhaps there was an element of that anyway, because that's the marketing that you notice, isn't it? The stuff that's far too heavy handed, the stuff that's just slapping you about the face or phoning you every two days to ask if you've read their email and considered the proposal. Um, it's the good marketing that you don't notice. It's the stuff that seeps in there. And that helps you to helps you to learn something and shows you where to go to get the information and then you buy the product. You don't notice that necessarily anyway, do you? I agree. And I think that there are like these two sites where when people find you, which means they are coming inbound, they've already accepted that they need to change. I mean, they are looking for something. So then it's around education and why your product is better. I see a lot of outbound and sending emails or phone calls or like deck mail to people to convince them first that they need to change. And that's what I think takes a lot of like things because we don't like change as human beings and it, take us be- and it takes us between eight to 12 touch points to change. So I think that if you create a good DevRel, a good content and you get people to start coming once they already accepted that they needed change, then I think it's when marketing is more around education and, and, and value. And that's where you focus, which I again, never thought of that before. No, no. So um, something that you mentioned before we started recording was the uh, the value of great content and how that really um, boosted you at Orsera. So could you give us a bit more information about that? Yeah, definitely. So basically, content has always been our biggest source of signups and revenue. Back in the day, um, 95% of the revenue actually came from content. Now we are at something like 65% or something like that. But a lot of the focus has been on creating good quality content and becoming a thought leader of identity and authentication, regardless of the fact of the fact if people were using Outzero or not. So to get content to work, we basically created an experimentation framework because I'm an engineer. I like experimenting. And when we started with content, I had no idea what marketing or content was. 
So we started like trying out different things. I remember we first tried writing content that was related to Outzero and that didn't work out at all because we saw that the people that were coming to the blog were existing Outzero users instead of developers who never thought of Outzero. Um, so after actually doing qualitative interviews, we talked to a lot of developers to understand when did they want to learn about authentication? When did they want to learn about identity? What did it mean to them? And what was mind-blowing to us is that the answer there was that they don't want to learn about authentication because authentication is boring for them and they want to focus on something fun, which is like the core product that they have. So then we saw that our competition was working on Google to position single sign-on and other terms that explain what is authentication and not actually why developers were looking for authentication, which was when they got stuck implementing. So we started to create this content that would focus on AngularJS or React or Vue and how you can set up authentication with those if you got stuck. And that's something that started to get a bit popular once, as I said, we moved from creating content that was outside focused to content that was greenfield, that anybody could use. And the only thing we added was one paragraph as an aside saying, if you don't want to do all of this, just implement Outzero. And something we focused on in the content part is the distribution. I think distribution is key. So we started distributing, of course, in Reddit and on the weekly magazines like JavaScript Weekly or Movie Weekly or whatever. But actually what made it work the most was getting other people who were the thought leaders of different frameworks to start sharing our content. So to give you an example, um, when I joined, I started writing a lot of articles about AngularJS 1 and how we did authentication with Angular 1. But I was also going to all the conferences of Angular. And that meant that I was meeting a lot of the speakers in these Angular conferences, which were either the creators of Angular or, con or core contributors. And because I started to become friends with them and they started following me on Twitter, they started seeing the quality of content we had from Outzero and they started sharing some of that content. So what that meant is that we actually used DevRel and this idea of networking and meeting other developers in these conferences to share some of the content that we had around authentication and Angular. And we ended up becoming the thought leader of authentication for Angular. So when anybody wanted to implement authentication in Angular, whether it was without zero or with something else, they would actually come to us. So we ended up using the DevRel as the source of talking to the other uh, thought leaders of each of the frameworks to help us distribute the good quality content that we were writing. That's fantastic. That's, that's gold dust that to the listeners. I'm sure that's a really useful piece of advice. Thank you. Yes, I think um, it's a really interesting strategy to look at where people are having trouble and then kind of go back one and say, right, you know, you can do it like that or it's the easy way and, you know, come to us. But without broadcasting, again, you're being very subtle about the fact that you're all zero. You're not, you're not broadcasting that everywhere. You're just providing a very small paragraph to direct people. So that's a great piece of advice. Um, I'm going to go back to you, your younger self, uh, before you'd even cross to the dark side. Knowing what you know now, what would be your advice to your younger self or to any other young professional who's maybe um, considering developer marketing as a, as a future career? So, like, first piece of advice would be 
don't be scared that it's marketing because as i said it doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be around adding value or educating people or things similar to that so that would be definitely one piece of advice and the other piece of advice is around making sure that you know that your job doesn't define you like that was one of my fears when i studied with marketing around weight like my younger developer self would not like that i'm doing marketing and in the end honestly you're not your job it doesn't even matter and if you focus on doing it the way that you believe is the best way then i think everything is going to be okay but my main advice would be about not worrying about becoming Darth Vader or moving to the dark side <laughs> yes i think that's very true for um developers um who may have that view um but do you need to be a developer to be effective in in developer marketing or is it something that if our listeners maybe are working currently in a more general marketing capacity um, but their companies perhaps see the value of developer marketing and considering building up a team. Is it, is it something that um, anybody could move into? So I, I personally don't think so. I think that to be, to be a good developer relations, you need to be a developer. And actually something that I've been thinking more of lately is that I've seen a lot of companies where DevRel is a very separate position from developers. So that means that the developer relations person never touches production code from your company so they might not exactly know your product from the inside they of course know it from the outside and how it's used something that i've seen for example in google and facebook that i find really interesting is that they are starting to have devrel people who one day a week for example or x percentage of their time they work on production code and they are part of the team and I think that that creates empathy with the product team that makes you a much better understanding of the product. And it also makes it much easier to basically talk to other developers about how Outsido works and also connect to the teams to give feedback on what things to improve. So summing it up, I definitely think that a DevRel should be a developer. And I even am starting to think now that a DevRel should at least some part of their time work closely with the product teams on production code. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I think um, if you're an open source community, then that's even even more important because then people can see your contributions and they can see what you're working on, where your expertise is, and you know they can see that you're completely committed to completely committed to the product. You know that you're you've got skin in the game, as it were. I agree one hundred percent. And I think like I've seen developers talk to several people who are not developers. And a lot of times they get frustrated because they don't speak the same language and because they get frustrated with the person because of this halo effect bias they get frustrated with the company as well because they believe that those frustrations are going to be for the company so that's the part that we also need to think about that the devrel is sort of the visible face of your company so you need to make sure that the visible face of your company is a good representation of your company values culture and all of the things that are like that describe your company Yes, yes, that's a, a very good way of looking at it. And do you think, um, given that you're you're trying to sort of communicate those values and that that style and the way that you want your company to be reflected, do you do you think each developer community has a particular um, sort of persona or, or character? Definitely. So I, I, this is something that is like fascinating to me and around understanding the characters of of, of the persona. And I think for our case. Because identity specifically is something that is very hard to understand. And there are like a lot of 
protocols and a way of doing it. Like every person in our community that focuses very deeply on authentication and starts teaching to others are people who have like very high attention to details that are very interested in standards and protocols and open source. And they are then the ones who are like helping us spread our work. Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I think um, with some communities, you look at them and you think, "I'm not sure I want to work in this one because um, it's quite it's got quite an abrupt or aggressive style of communication within the forums." And others seem to be more um, I don't know a bit more clunky, maybe in the way that they're marketing to their developers. I'm thinking of the ones that use uh, cartoon animals, for example, or um, are always tweeting memes on Twitter, um, different companies, by the way. So, yeah, I think there's definitely, you can kind of see just how effective and, and how well tuned in they are to their developers by the way that they're communicating and the, um, the way that their values are reflecting, you know, their, their beliefs in how developers think, how closely they understand them, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I think that for them understanding, it's also around a lot of the company paying attention to work with them and teach them and do free workshops and stuff like that. We have an ambassador program where we basically help people who have spoken at meetups to start speaking at conferences. And we help them by preparing them on how to speak and prepare them, preparing them about Outzero and authentication and the protocols. And we actually help them also pay for the hotel and the flight as long as they talk about something that is Outzero related and they mention that they are an Outzero ambassador. So I totally agree that you need to help these people understand and give them a lot of information and basically give them value as, as we've been chatting about. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. So we've had lots of great advice from you. Um, would you care to share something that's perhaps been a bit more of a challenge, something that you've kind of learned along the journey, maybe by um, the result of making a mistake or something going wrong behind the scenes? Do you have any, do you have any kind of gotchas that um, you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, definitely. One that has been very interesting for us is that we focused in the beginning a lot in ads for developers. And we were having ads in like Facebook and Google, etc. And they were bringing a lot of signups. However, something that we didn't check is what was the quality of those signups. So now we have our activated metrics, which basically shows like after signup, have they found Outzero's wow moment of, oh, now I get what Outzero is. And when we started checking that for our ads, we started seeing that only 10% of the people who registered via ads actually become activated. So their quality was very, very bad, let's say. So we spent a bunch of money just to bring signups of not quality. We ended up learning that that wasn't the way to do that. So again, we went back to qualitative feedback and talking to developers that were clicking to understand why they weren't using it. And our target was not great, added to the fact that a lot of developers have ad blocks or Gothery and they, and they don't see the ads. So we ended up moving to a model where now we don't have real ads. We go to open source projects who focus on authentication and we sponsor those projects to help them um, get the resources that they need to continue working. And in exchange, we only ask for them to add in the readme a message saying, if you don't want to implement this yourself, you can use Outzero. And that's it. And that's not an app. That's basically supporting an open source framework and then recommending to use Outzero if 
that open source framework is not a good fit. And that's something that ended up working more to us because again, it was more value driven and that brought us more activated signups. Yeah, and the nice thing there is you're helping an open source community rather than putting money in Facebook and Google's pockets. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So a really interesting lesson learned, and I think a lot, a lot of um, a lot of people would appreciate that. That's that's a really useful piece of best practice. So I'm going to switch topics slightly now because I've heard that you used to be a stand-up comedian. Is this is this correct? Yeah. So I was actually very very shy when I was a kid and I always thought that being uncomfortable is the way that we learn so because I was so shy I thought that if I did comedy stand-up like stand-up comedy I would stop being shy um, so I when I was 17 or 16 I don't remember I started doing stand-up comedy just to get out of my shyness or fear or something like that and I think it was definitely useful for me because then that's what allowed me to do, be doing like DevRel and other things in the future. That's amazing. I mean, for a 17-year-old to be so um, far-sighted, you know, about doing it, most 17-year-olds most are like, I'm going to hide in my room, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and I know, you know, I'm, I'm still very shy and there's no way that I'd do that. So uh, how did you get over the, um, you know, the stage fright? So it's actually like a lot of the stage fright, you still have it. What they teach you is more around like how to be less stressed and how to use that stage fright in your advantage. So now, for example, I still feel I'm scared before I'm going to talk or something like that, but it's okay because I know it's going to go away and it's not going to be permanent. So I just use that fear to actually have more power for my presentation. I see. Yes. So it's kind of tapping into that and taking the energy and, and converting it from from something negative to something positive. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So um, in terms of, of being a, a stand-up, do you think there's a kind of, um, what do you say there's an analogy between stand-up comedy and developer, a developer marketing um, community, developer community? Yeah, definitely. So I think like something that I always say is that talks are entertainment. And I believe that if you're giving a talk at a conference, you don't want people to deeply understand what you're saying, because that won't happen based on how our brains work to learn new things. What you want them to remember is an overall idea of what you talked about, and that in case that they run into X, Y, or Z problems, that they know that they can search for this to get like deeper information. And if that's the case, then I want them to remember the talk. So what I try to do is I try to make the talks fun, let's say, so that then this content that is the overall idea, they end up remembering about it. Stand-up comedy also talks a lot about, like, tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and tell them what you have just told them. And that's another thing that I think has helped me a lot with developer marketing and marketing in general, where if you want people to remember something, it's all around repetition and consistency. So that's something that I got from stand-up comedy that I started applying as well um, to developer marketing. And the last side is preparation. Like when you see a talk or when you see somebody writing a blog post or working on something in the community, it has a lot of preparation behind. And from stand-up comedy, I learned how to be more relaxed and also how to do a good job of preparing an outline, punchline, silent 
how to speak, how to use the silences, and like a lot of those things. And I think actually would be useful to any person working on developer marketing or developer communities. I do think that improv might have been better, but says Lavi, I already picked stand-up comedy in the past. Yes. <laughs> so I think um, it was Maya Angelou, I think, who said that people won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And it sounds to me like you're, you know, you're remembering that you want people to remember that you entertain them and remember you and remember maybe the topic of the talk and perhaps that it would be useful for them in the future. So when it does become useful, they, you know, they can immediately switch to you. You're kind of branding, but you're branding in a, in a fun way rather than just ramming the, um, you know, the, product name down their throat. That's exa exactly right. And I think that that's, that makes a big difference compared to not doing it that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you know, I, when I went to university, um, I had loads of lecturers, different lecturers in, in my first year. And I only really remember one of them. And he was um, Dr. James Keeler. And I mean, this is going back 30 odd years now, but he told a joke at the beginning of his first lecture, which was a very lame joke. It was a terrible joke, actually. But the fact is, is that we all laughed and I still remember him and I remember what he taught me. It was, uh, yeah, it was thermodynamics. So it wasn't a very fun lecture. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. It kind of, it sticks in your mind because it's just making you feel just that little bit better about, you know, being nervous and being in a lecture with lots of people you don't know. And, and yeah, definitely. I was going to say exactly. And I do think that this idea on the focus on what is the one thing that you want people to remember that's key for any communication that you're going to have. Because if you have too many points or you don't know how to talk about those points, nobody will remember anything either. Um, so that's another part. Like it talks about our entertainment and also like what is the one thing that you want them to get out of what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So it sounds to me like very much what you do in your, um, in your role in developer marketing and developer relations is you're quite oblique about the product. You're not selling it. You're going to other communities. You're explaining to them how to do stuff in a, in a good way. You're kind of pointing them at all zero as an alternative. You're not going to conferences and ramming, them down, um, ramming your company down their throats either. You're very much, you know, this is, this is us. It's kind of very, um, it's very modest, your marketing. <laughs> And I, I don't think it's about modesty. It's about people figuring out that you're helping them out. And I think that for developers, that's key. It's, I'm helping you out, and I'm going to tell you when out zero makes sense for you. So to give an example, I was once in a conference, and somebody was asking me, hey, I only want to have Twitter, and that's it. That's the only login, or Twitter and Facebook, maybe. Would you use out zero? And maybe if you only have one social connection or two, it doesn't make sense to use South Zero because you're connecting to a social connection. So that was my response to this person. But I did tell him, but look, if then you want to add username and password, you want to add active directory or this or that, then South Zero would be much more useful. And then one year later, this same person came back and he was telling me that he switched company and in their new company, they were looking for username and password and active directory. And then based on our chat, he thought that South Zero would be a good fit. So that's where you can see that if you are genuine and you add value to people and help them out, then they will trust you on when the product makes sense. And that's when I think um, they, this works because then if they have the need, they will go back to you. But of course, that only works if the product is good because if the product is not good, like nobody will come eventually. No, no, but that's it, isn't it? It's a bit like... Um 
you know you can get a good um, carpenter or a good house painter um, on recommendations they don't have to advertise they don't have to um, put any kind of ads in in the paper because everybody's giving word of mouth recommendations to them and it's you know you're giving you're giving a, a great product and what's more is you're not um, doing the hard sell you're only um, you're trustworthy in the way that you're selling it exactly 100 percent agree yeah that's interesting so um just final question then so let's go back to stand-up comedy so do you have do you have a favorite stand-up comedian somebody i should be watching because i feel like i need a laugh so my my actual favorite comedian used to be louis ck but now i cannot say that because he's, mm. he's a bad guy basically <laughs> uh, but i do like his comedy for sure Mm, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting answer, isn't it? We're we're definitely in that time where um, some of the people. Well, I suppose the thing is, is a lot of people now are kind of a bit, um, you know, looking back in the seventies um, here in in the UK, there's a lot of people that are definitely a bit dubious. Um, but that's because times have changed, rather than because of particular activities. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Dennis Leary. I th Dennis Leary hasn't dated, to my mind. <laughs> no, and, and he's awesome as well. Do you see a lot of stand-up comedy? Uh, no, no, I don't. I, I don't think I've ever seen any stand-up comedy live. Oh, no, I tell a lie. I have. I've seen Frank Skinner and Bob Monkhouse when Bob Monkhouse was live, bless his soul. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That was because that, that was a company event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes sense. So it wasn't like your choice to basically go look at them. It was that you're going to see them and it's in the That's right. Yes, Sorry. yes, I didn't pay to see either of those. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the, I've seen a lot of comedian, like stand-up comedy from Argentina, but you probably won't know them because they are just known in Argentina. Right, yes, yeah, my Spanish is a bit, uh, it's a bit limited these days. But we, do have, we do have a couple of people in Slash Data, either from Argentina or living in Argentina. So, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll have to connect you and you can give them some recommendations. <laughs> nice, yeah. Well, Gonto, it's been absolutely great talking to you. I've, I've learned so much um, when it comes to our next version of our book. I'm hoping that we might be able to convince you to write a chapter. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't join this time because I didn't have enough time, but I'd be happy to join next time. Yeah, yeah, there's so many great things we could learn from you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll have you on again and learn even more. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for everything.